My guess is that you've had some conversations with your kids, some important conversations in the lifespan of your family. And maybe if you're too young yet to have children, maybe you remember a conversation you had with your parents that might have changed the course of things. And I remember my two young boys when they were at home, uh, they're grown men now, but I remember having conversations with them about how we were going to explain things to their mother, why the ice cream was missing out of the freezer why something was broke in the backyard, why the kitchen was an absolute mess. And I would sit down with them and we would kind of work out the storyline so that when she asked any one of us, we would all have the same story. We would all be on the same page, so to speak. But, you know, we've also had those conversations with our kids that were really deep and important. Moments when we had to talk about why we were moving to a different location or why we were making a decision as a family to do something different or why we were choosing to serve in this location rather than this location. And some of those conversations were deep and life-changing. We're in this series called A Thrill of Hope, and we're talking about what the world is talking about right now, and that is God coming to earth in the form of Jesus. And talking about conversations, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but have you ever thought about the conversation that happened with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, before that first Christmas? Now, it's not written down anywhere. You're not going to find it in any ancient book. It's going to be part of our creative process as we think about the conversation that might have happened between Jesus and His Father before that first Christmas. And I think it might have gone something like this. God approaches Jesus and the Father says, Jesus, I have this idea, this plan to get our creation back with us. You remember how we were so close in the Garden of Eden. We want to have that relationship with our creation again. And so I've got an idea on how to help that happen. And Jesus says, I'm intrigued. Tell me more, Father. And he says, I I want to involve you 100% in this process, and what I want you to do is to accept the mission. And the mission is, should you choose to accept it, is to go to earth as a human being and be the ultimate gift and sacrifice for our people. And Jesus says, I'm listening. Tell me more about what you're thinking. How does it all begin And God the Father says, well, I've already got you an earthly mother chosen. She's actually a teenage girl, but she's absolutely in love with us, totally devoted to us. She is an incredible person of God. She loves on those around her. She helps and serves those in her community. She is going to be an incredible mother to you. Her name is Mary. And I've also already got chosen for you an earthly father. His his name is Joseph. He's a carpenter by trade, but he is kind of more of a background person, quiet demeanor, but equally devoted to us. He's at synagogue every weekend. He works in his neighborhood, in his village, helping those around him. He, He loves on people. Both of them are equally toward us. They want to be in relationship with us. But if you're going to go to earth, that means you're going to have to be born, which means you're going to be in Mary's womb for nine months. And when you're born, you're going to be 100% human and still 100% God. It's going to be an incredible moment. 
Now, most people would think, you know, the king of kings, that's the son of God, if he's born, he's going to be born in a palace, in a castle, surrounded by the popular and famous wealthy people. But I've got a small village selected for you to be born in. And in fact, you're going to be born in a cave outside the village, surrounded by farm animals, and you'll be visited that night by lowly shepherd boys. And Jesus says, I get it. If I'm born in a palace, it seems very exclusive. But in this way, it's clear to the world that I'm for everybody, not just a select group of people. He goes on to say, the minute you're born, every demon in hell is going to be after you. They're going to come after you with a vengeance. Their leader, Satan, the ultimate accuser, the tempter, is going to be on you every single day. But stay strong in your power as the son of God. It's all, all going to begin really with this guy by the name of King Herod, who after he learns about your birth, there's a new king in town, he's going to tell his men to go out and kill every boy two years of age and younger, hoping to get you in the process. And so you and Joseph and Mary are going to run away to Egypt where you will hide so that our plan can come to fruition. You'll eventually hear of King Herod's death, and so you'll move back to Israel where I've got a small town for you to live in called Nazareth. And it's there that Joseph is going to begin opening his company and building for other people. You'll apprentice for him. You'll learn carpentry skills. It'll be a great opportunity for you to bond with Joseph and understand how deeply dedicated he is to us. And while people around you will love you and appreciate you, your own hometown is, they're really going to reject you. They're not going to want anything to do with you. And eventually, the very wood that you use to build tables and chairs, they'll fashion together as a cross, and they will nail you to that cross. You're going to begin your ministry, and as I've already said, you're going to still be 100% God, and so you're going to have all the power that we have. Use it wisely, but you're going to be able to do real miracles. You're going to be able to open people's eyes so that they can see color again. You're going to be able to heal people who can't hear so they can hear the birds singing in the trees again. Those people that have not been able to walk for months and years, you will stand them up on their own feet so that they can run again. You're going to even raise the dead. But even so, there will be some around you who will look at you and say, you're, you're a lunatic, you're a liar, you may even be in league with devil himself but love on them anyway. Show our world what we're really all about. Compassion, grace, mercy, love. Eventually, you'll begin official ministry at about age 30, and I'm going to give you 12 men that you can pour into. These 12 men are going to be very eclectic from different backgrounds, but they're going to follow you. They're going to love you. They're going to hang on every word you have to say. And eventually, they'll carry on the mission once you come back home. And they'll pass that mission down from generation to generation to generation, explaining to the world how much we love them. And they will love you and follow you and be loyal to you until they're not. 
Eventually, you'll get to that last supper, the Passover meal you'll celebrate with them in that upper room in Jerusalem. And you're going to take two emblems that have been a part of this festival for months, years, yes, millennia. And you're going to change the meaning of those two things. You're going to take the bread that you'll break with those men and their families, and you're going to say, this represents now my broken body on the cross that's given for you. You'll take the fruit of the vine and you'll share it with those men and their families and you'll say, this cup represents my shed blood so that your sins can be forgiven. You'll be white as snow. And in that moment and that night, they won't understand what you're talking about. But in the weeks and months and years to come, they will fully grasp it and pass it on to the generations to come. After that meal together, you'll leave that upper room and you'll go outside the city wall into the dark to to a garden area where you'll begin to pray and everything will be revealed to you that is going to happen to you. And you in your prayer will ask me, Father, if there is any other way, I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want to have to drink your cup of wrath. But true to form, because of your loving nature, you will also say, however, not my will, but your will be done. And at the end of that prayer, there will be a mob that shows up in the dark with torches and clubs and swords. And those 12 men that you've poured into will flee. They will run away from you and you will stand alone where you will be arrested. You will be spit on. You will be slapped You will be beaten, you will be whipped, and eventually they will lay you down on that cross and they will hammer in nine-inch spikes into your wrist and your feet. They'll strip you naked and they will stand that cross up for everyone to see in the area. And in that crowd are going to be people who have heard you preach, who have heard you teach, who have seen you do powerful miracles. And they will laugh and mock you. They will scorn you. But true to your form, you will ask me to forgive them anyway. And eventually, a few hours later, you will give up your spirit and you will say, it is finished. The plan is complete. But Jesus, from birth to death, I want you to know that you will never be alone. I will always be with you. I will always be with you. I will never leave you, never forsake you. I will always be with you. Even when they take you down from the cross and they wrap you in those burial clothes, put you in that dark tomb and roll the stone over the opening, even then I will be with you. You will be the perfect sacrificial gift, the greatest gift that our creation has ever known. So Jesus, what do you think about the plan? Are you in? And for one small second, Jesus looks at the floor and then back at his father and he says, absolutely, we love them that much. I'm willing to give up everything, even my own life, so that we can have that relationship with them again. You see, Jesus' birth brings us hope, but his death brings us life. We think about Jesus this time of year and for us every day of the year. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the light of the world. He is Emmanuel, God with us.
We're in this series we're calling A Thrill of Hope because Jesus is, in fact, the hope that gives us peace. He's also the one who gives us life in his death. We're going to be in God's Word here in just a moment. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We'll also be in John chapter 1. I encourage you to get your Bibles open and read along with me in just a few moments. Our text will be on the screen as well. And we're so glad that so many of you have come today to celebrate Jesus Christ, our risen King, and joining us online as well. We're so glad that you're here today as well. You know, we do celebrate, as the world celebrates this time of year, the coming of the King. And you may have heard a word thrown around this time of year that isn't typically in our vocabulary. It's the word incarnation. And so we ask the question, what is the incarnation? And you can scour the internet, look at lots of books, enter in theological discussion, and there are multiple different definitions that might come up for that particular word. But I love to start in God's Word where it describes the incarnation. So let's read Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, beginning in verse 18, chapter 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You know, as I said, we we look at this idea of incarnation and what it truly means. And again, you can look lots of different places to see a definition of that particular word. But I found this definition, and I wanted to throw it up on the screen and take a look. It says, in Christian theology, the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus the preexistent divine logos, God the Son, the Son of the Father, taking on a human body and human nature who, made flesh, were joined in hypostatic union. Well, well, well. Are you as lost as I am? You know, I've got a Master's of Divinity from Abilene Christian. It took me five years to get that degree, a whole lot of study, and I'm even lost on some of those words. In a nutshell, incarnation is God coming to earth in the form of Jesus. God who put skin on, and the message version says, and moved into our neighborhood. I love that imagery, don't you? This idea that God cares about us so very much that he sent his son to live among us, to be with us, indeed be Emmanuel, God with us. John puts it eloquently in his gospel. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and then verse 14. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of his Father's one and only Son. So we begin to ask the question, why? 
Why would Jesus come to earth and leave everything else behind in order to be with us? It seems like he was on mission. And he says it in his ministry over and over. When you look in the gospel accounts, it says by Jesus, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost, you and me. He came as a rescuer. He even says, I came to give them life and life in the abundant. Jesus' death gives us life. His birth gives us hope. And so we relish in that story this time of year. And thinking back to Matthew's account where he quotes the prophet in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Behold, a virgin will give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what does that mean practically in our own life? Well, in your own journey, when you feel afraid, it's Jesus that brings you peace. When when you feel alone, it's Jesus who will be your companion. When, When you feel lost, it's Jesus who will be your guide. When you feel sick, it's Jesus who will be your healer. When when you feel tired, it's Jesus that will carry you in the moment. When you feel weak in your journey, it's Jesus who will give you his strength. And when you feel the mountain of burden of your own sin in your life, it's Jesus who will be your Savior. He's the light of the world. Emmanuel, God with us. My guess is this time of year, you've got a lot of traditions that you are working through right now, and those are coming to fruition, whether it be a meal or how you open presents or what trips that you take, those kind of things. In our house, we had a tradition that I loved so much with my young boys. They're grown fine young men now, and so I don't get to experience that anymore. But I remember this particular moment was just one of my favorites at Christmas, Christmas Eve, we would have our Christmas Eve meal, which mom would cook. We would all eat that up quickly, and then we would move to the living room and exchange our gifts one to another. But then we would grab one particular book, and I would sit on the couch. The boys would sit on each side of me. Mom would be on one side of the boys. And the book that we would read every single Christmas together was Twas the Night Before Christmas. It was an ornately illustrated book. And I would open that first page, and the boys would peer into the story that they knew so well, but we would read it again every single Christmas. And we would read the story together, but we would stop on every page, and we would point out the detail of what was going on in the background of the pictures. It was a terrific Christmas story to retell. But church, I'm going to tell you, the greatest story ever told was the one where Jesus came to earth for you and for me. And we celebrate that every single year together. We love the fact that we have a God who loved us so much that he gave us the greatest gift that you and I will ever open. We are called to journey with God through his son, Jesus Christ. His birth gives us hope and his death gives us life. I'm hoping that you've got some communion elements around you close. As we think about that story that we told earlier, and the disciples gathered in that upper room over the Passover meal, Jesus took two emblems, and he said, listen, the bread is going to represent my broken body 
on the cross for you so that you will have life. And the cup, the fruit of the vine, is going to represent my shed blood for you, for your remission of your sins. It will wash you white as snow. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, my sin is thrown from me. And so as we partake of this, we're remembering that idea. We stop to think about Jesus' birth once a year. But as believers, every Sunday we remember Jesus' death and resurrection because it's in that moment that we have life and life to the full. And so the bread represents Christ's broken body on the tree. And his broken body guarantees us when we say yes to him as Lord of our life that we too will have life and resurrection. The cup represents his shed blood on the cross. And that blood cleanses us and makes us white as snow. We celebrate that every single Sunday together. And our life screams out every day how grateful we are to have a loving God who gave us the greatest gift that we'll ever know. I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup, and then we'll take that together as a family of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you with words not enough to tell you how thankful we are that you loved us this much. God, this time of year we celebrate Jesus' birth and we're so grateful for him coming, but today we also celebrate his death and resurrection because it's in that moment that we also have life. And my prayer, God, is that you would bless us in extraordinary ways so that that story does not stop with our lives, but it goes out in gracious ways to those around us. God, we're grateful for your son who gave everything for, for us, your creation. And I pray our life will be one that celebrates him every single day of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Together, the body of Christ. Together, the blood of Christ. May you, this holiday season, embrace the greatest gift that you've ever received. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the coming Messiah, light of the world, indeed Emmanuel, God with us.